and what I get to do during that time, you know, my friend, it is so incredibly fulfilling, so challenging. I mean, it's like so unknown. You start that morning, 7 a.m., Monday morning, and it's what's going to happen. And who'd have thunk that this week I'd be closing up one young man's head and opening up another young man's head at the end of the week? I, I mean, it's, you know, wow. So here I am, I'm a bit tired. This is sleep deprivation right here. It's okay though, it's been, I've been functional through this whole time. And I thought about that because sometimes people ask, how do you keep functioning? How do you keep functioning without sleep? Or people are amazed when they meet somebody who, who doesn't sleep that much and other people need a lot of sleep. Or some people need complete blackness, complete darkness to sleep and others can fall asleep anywhere. I'm generally of that. I can, if I lay down and close my eyes, I can, I can fall asleep. But I'm a very active person. I'm a mover. I, 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 I do a lot of things. And um, when it comes to doing my job, when it comes to being a neurosurgeon, it's really, I mean, I might, it's like Las Vegas in there. It's 24-7. It's, I think I can go quite some time and stay functional. And part of that might be training. Part of that might be genetics. I mean, when I trained, it was... 91 to 97 and I loved it. It was an absolute phenomenal training program. We would take every other night call, which meant you came to work at 6 a.m. or you, you, you started rounds at 6 a.m. So you might be there beforehand to get things done, but officially you started rounds at 6 a.m. and you got off work at 6 p.m. the next day. But that meant that, I mean, that was just on paper that you got off work at 6 p.m. If surgeries were going on, you'd be waiting for everybody to, everybody to finish so that you could have your checkout. So you'd have this formal 6 a.m. Without question, 6 a.m. was, hi everybody, good morning, let's start the day. Here's what we have to do today. You do this, you do this, you do this. Here's what our, our, our tasks, here's what's in front of us. But then the sequence of, you know, life doesn't change in neurosurgery. It's just continuous and continuous. So as this is going on, you need some point to check out to the guys on call. Well, I'm on call that day. The next day at 6 p.m. I get off call. Whatever time I get to check out to the next guy, I go home and then I come back for that next 6 a.m. day. So really, it amounted to about 126 hours a week of work. And that doesn't happen anymore. Now there's rules and regulations. And a lot of people think, wow, how can you do that? And it was safe and it, um, we, we took care of each other. We got through it. We napped. We re I mean, I'm really good at napping. It's a learned trait, apparently. Um, we, you know, we tried to preserve our health and, and get through it together, and we did. And now, that doesn't exist anymore. So I think there's this like beast of guys and gals that came out of this era that are, if they're still practicing, are, are really, I mean, separated from the peloton of what you can do. And I feel fortunate to be one of those. I did get a break this week. I went to a uh, a birthday a dinner uh, of a friend and. During that dinner, unbeknownst to a friend's husband, he, he talked about watching, this is a basketball player, this guy plays basketball, he's very successful, he's got college rings and basketball, and um, he, he, he talked about rowing, and I was a rower, and he, he just brought it up, and he, talked, he, he watched the men's or women's singles on the Olympics. He said, oh my gosh, I, I, my, it's my sense that that is the most difficult physical endeavor to do in sports. And I smiled because 
I, I, I was a biker early in my years, and then when I went to college, I went to University of Michigan, I started working out in the gym early in the morning, and I saw all these people working out early a lot harder than me, and I'm like, what are, who are these guys? And they were rowers. Long story short, I got into rowing, and that's probably what I was most successful in, in sports. Um, and it is, you, in rowing, you, you train so stinking hard, and you, it, what's great about it is you learn to become uncomfortable. You get really, really comfortable being uncomfortable, and that's called the pain cave. We refer to this as the pain cave, and every sport has a pain cave, this difficult time where you have to find it. And a rowing race is generally, is 2,000 meters, so let's call it six minutes. Okay, you got, this is as long as a Kentucky Derby, uh, a mile and a quarter or 2,000 meters. And in that six minutes, you get to this point where it's complete chaos in your body and you have to preserve technique as you're, as you're, as you're, as you're performing during this time where you have not only endurance taking everything you have, but you have to preserve your technique because this is a sport where there's no, I mean, you, the, the flow that you create by sweeping this boat through the water is pretty amazing. So it was fun to hear his friend talking about rowing. It was new to him and, and observing some of the things that just learned into me over the years and years of rowing. So that go, that's again a discipline. That's the ability to, 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 to do something to its fullest. And it's the ability to, in that case, get comfortable being uncomfortable, which I think helps in all forms of life. But back to on call with Dr. Larson, right? What, what happened on this call week? This week was pretty, pretty memorable. Um, I started the week uh, putting the skull back onto a young man that was in a motorcycle accident about six weeks ago as part of his treatment when you're treating a closed head injury. When you do a surgery to take out the problem, you may elect to keep the skull out of, keep it off because that allows the brain to swell outward instead of inward. If it swells inward, bad things can happen. If it swells outward, you've got a better chance. So you typically, if you think you have a salvageable injury, when you do the surgery, you might leave the skull off and then treat the patient. And it's not like this brain's exposed. It's covered with, with, with material, synthetic material that you put over the brain. It's covered with the skin. And the patient's generally in the ICU or in close medical observation. This individual has now made some recovery, uh, needs to make more, and, and has, a, has a chance to do so based on the brain injury. Um, and it was time to put his skull back in. And it became time because the, not only did the CAT scan show the brain getting better, the swelling going down, but you can visibly see sort of this concavity forming where there used to be swelling. So it, now that it's time for this, this, this young man to take the next step toward recovery, and that's to go to rehab. Before going to rehab, we put the skull back on. Once you put the skull back on, imagine that there's this plumbing in the brain, the spinal fluid that has these dynamics whereby you produce spinal fluid every day. You produce maybe say 250 cc's of spinal fluid every day. And then you absorb it, you absorb it. And it's all this path of, 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 of fluid lining the brain and nourishing the brain. And when you take the lid off, you change the pressure gradient and you change all the dynamics. So for a short period of time, he didn't, he had a catheter into the ventricular system to drain spinal fluid to help it not build up, remove what was being made because the brain wouldn't absorb it 
properly. Now that the skull's back on, the catheter's out, there's this observation period where we have to sort of watch the plumbing. And so that's the plan now. He'll go to rehab, he'll come back uh, in about a month where we'll do a CAT scan or sooner if he needs it and determine whether there's anything that needs to be done to, to so-called tune things up as the start of the week. Unfortunately, at the end of the week, this weekend, I took the skull off another young man. This was an individual that was out hiking, had a mishap and fell something like 35 feet and landed on his head, crushed his skull, and uh, came, came, got, got resuscitated at the scene, brought to our emergency room, at which point it was obvious, you know, he, needed, he was in critical condition and we rushed him to the operating room. Um, again, did a craniotomy treated the problem and left this skull out. And the skull, where it goes is it goes into a, uh, a specialized cooling system. It goes into a minus 80 degree Celsius freezer where it sits safely, sterilely until it's put back in. Alternatively, you can actually store it in the patient's body. So you can make a, a skin incision, create a little pocket where the fat is or the subcutaneous tissue is and put the bone in there. I would do that if I know the patient's going to be shipped somewhere because it's hard to manage this skull on dry ice. So it's a, but, but back to the, the case. So now we're, we have a, a young man who's at the start of his journey through this serious close head injury. Um, he's still in a, a, a he, he survived. I mean, we saved his life and now it's recovery time. So um, uh, we wish him well and uh, hope to uh, see a great recovery. As a neurosurgeon, when you approach something like this, it's like when you see an injury, how, to what extreme will you go to, to, to save that person? Well, you, it, any extreme needed. I think that there is some respect, though, that you wouldn't want to force a patient who, had a, who was known to have a terrible outcome coming his way into that outcome. So you wouldn't want to necessarily save somebody's life who was destined to be in a coma forever, in a vegetative state forever. Um, that's a tough call to make though. It's a really, really tough call to make. There's this, certainly you can kind of look at the, the brain and say, okay, here's the left brain, here's the right brain. There were injuries on the right brain. The right brain is generally more forgiving. Maybe it's not more forgiving, but it has less obvious uh, function to it, speech and more objective findings come out of the left brain, the right brain maybe has the more artistic or, or thought-provoking kind of uh, processes going on in it. But the reality of it is these two hemispheres are both very, very, very important. We've talked about the white matter that connects them and how they, how they work together and communicate, but they're both important. So it's, it's a tough call to make. It's really tough, it's, but, but in general, we try to save the life and make these decisions and, and move forward. And, the week was bookcased by two ends of that cycle. So um, what a week, and it's been, um, as I said, I'm, I'm pretty tired right now, but it's, it's this sort of, I, it's, it's light outside and I'm, I'm not gonna go to sleep, I and mean, that's how sleep works, right? Um, sleep has this anatomical sense to it. There's parts of your brain that control sleep. There, largely, there's the hypothalamus, there's the pineal gland, there's the brain stem, there's the thalamus, and it's, it's the, the biologic 
uh, relevance of sleep isn't really known, but we do know that it is absolutely as essential as, 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 as breathing and water and food um, to, to, to survive. I mean, it has, there's, there's absolute health benefits to it, and there's health consequences to the absence of quality sleep. But how much sleep an individual needs is very, very different. But the way the anatomy of it works, the hypothalamus has this, it's sort of this almond-shaped thing in the center of your brain. And it has this nucleus in it that connects with the optic nerves. And it gets this input about light. So sleep happens in the dark usually. It's hard to sleep in the light. The hypothalamus will sort of be the control center. And if you imagine that you have this control center in your brain that, for sleep, and forgive me if I'm off on the exact anatomic science of this, you then have these interactions with the, the pineal gland, for example. The pineal gland is what produces melatonin. So often melatonin, people take melatonin thinking it's going to help them sleep. Melatonin is known to keep you in sleep once you fall asleep. But as far as falling asleep, that's another story. The thalamus, the thalami, there's two of them, one on each side, they receive input from the cortexes of the brain. They're, your, they're, they're where you feel. They're where you, they're, they, they, they're, all your sensations go through the thalamus. The thalamus become very, very quiet during sleep because they want you to shut off from the outside world during sleep. Um, the brain stem, the brain stem's in communication. The brain stem needs to be sleeping to let you be sound during your sleep. As far as how much sleep you need, though, that's a that's 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 different for everybody. I mean, in general, adults need they say what six to eight hours of sleep. I probably my biologic clock seems to grab six hours. If I fall asleep, I can get up without an alarm six hours later, period. And um, others need more, but six is good for me. I try to get up before the sun is out. I love it. I like to be up before the sun gets up and get things done, but um, sometimes that doesn't happen. When you, in a, in, a, in a call week, when you're interrupted, it's rough because when you're in your sleep, sleep has these four cycles. There's the um, there's the REM sleep and the non-REM sleep. So REM stands for rapid eye movement. And um, that's like stage four of sleep. Stage one, two, and three don't involve eye movement. And you kind of cycle through this process. And when you, when you get into your REM, that's sort of where dreams happen, for example. Dreams, they can happen at any stage of sleep. But when you start dreaming in the REM side, it's, that, that's very important. Dreams are sort of like, can be affected by what happened during the day. Um, if you've had a stressful or anxious day, you might have more turbulent dreams or even frightful dreams. So sometimes it's a, it's a way, dreams are a way to have your, to, to organize your thoughts and mature your thoughts. And they're, sometimes they're black and white, right? And sometimes they're a color. I'm not sure, I sometimes dream in both, black and white or color. I don't know what you guys dream in. Bree? Color. Color? Connor? You guys remember color? Yeah, I have both, I think. Not sure what that means. Nowadays, let's say in a case, my call week, when, when, when there's the absence of sleep, the way I supplement that is with the other things that you need, exercise, nutrition, and cognitive function. I do a lot of, like if I have free time, I'll read. I exercise if I have free time. I'm a gym rat, I've got a gym right here behind this walls back there. So I spend time there, I might run, I read, I work on some personal growth things, uh, nutrition, 
I, I try to eat a little better or, or go hungry when I'm on call. I usually drop my weight a little bit when I'm on call just because I try not to, I stay out of the, absolutely just stay away from processed foods. I mean, you hear me talk about the pack use more, the recovery room s'more, which is a Swiss Miss, a Jiffy peanut butter on a graham cracker. Uh, but uh, but I, I stay away from those. I, so those other things help with the homeostasis and the metabolic health of your body. Um, sleep, when it's gone, it's, 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 it's hard to recover from. You need some time and it's hard to do it during the daytime because of, of the light. And that's sort of when you, that's sort of how jet lag works. Jet lag is when you're, what jet lag really is, is where when you get displaced into another time zone. So your biologic clock gets picked up and dropped into another real clock. And you develop this circadian rhythm in your body that is independent of the biologic clock. Your body just knows, your retina sends light. Your, and it's, it can, the circadian rhythm of your body will, will go on without cues. You know, if you're just put, a, you, you, if you're put in a dark room somewhere, you will pro probably stay on this 24 hour cycle where you sleep at a certain time. So if that's going on in your body and you get displaced somewhere else, that's where jet lag comes in. It takes a long time to adapt to it. And there's really, everybody's got their remedy, whether they try to you know, take melatonin on the airplane or whether they try to stay up as long as they can when they get to the destination or whether they try to go to sleep right away. Everybody has a different way to handle it, but it just takes time to adapt to that setting. As important as sleep is, without question, neurosurgery, doing neurosurgery, taking call at the hospital is a, you're kind of volunteering for at least deranged sleep. You may get phone calls that interrupt your REM sleep. And, and when that happens, you're awake. You know, you have a hard time going back to sleep. Um, or you may fall right back to sleep. But it's, you know, you're, once you start thinking about what that phone call was about, so you train yourself to do that. You, you, but it's something that, like for me, I love it. I started back into this call schedule and what I get to do during that time, you know, my friend is so incredibly fulfilling, so challenging. I mean, it's like so unknown. You start that morning, 7 a.m., Monday morning, and it's what's going to happen. And who'd have thunk that this week I'd be closing up one young man's head and opening up another young man's head at the end of the week? I, I mean, it's, you know, wow. It's a passion and a vocation that takes a, a, a certain dedication because you, there's nobody else that can do it. You're not going to hire somebody to do your job if this is what you do. You're like the chef in the kitchen. But I personally love it. The all-in-call segment is, uh, to me, one of the most fulfilling parts of my uh, existence right now. I feel like it's one of the things that I am on this planet for today. And I, I continue to, I plan to keep doing it for, for some time. Until next time, I'm Dr. Larson.